Welcome to Six Feet from Normal, a podcast dedicated to covering untold stories of the COVID-19 pandemic. Brought to you by reporters at the Medeal News Service. I'm Alec Bose. I'm Joe Snell. I'm Sarah Wilson. On this episode, we turn to travel and tourism. Few industries have been hit harder as people shelter in place, canceling non-essential travel and postponing vacations. Since the beginning of March, there's been a total of $157 billion in losses for the U.S. travel economy, according to the U.S. Travel Association. Today, we meet people who travel on a regular basis to see how they are coping with how the pandemic has changed their lifestyle. We wonder what tourism could look like after all of this is over, and if people will still have an appetite to get out and explore. Lots to get through today. Let's get started. Lee Abimonte is what some call the Marco Polo of the 21st century. He is the youngest person to travel to every country in the world, plus the North and South Poles. We thought someone with a passport stamp collection so impressive, the travel restrictions due to COVID-19 could be near devastating. We caught up with Lee to see what it's been like to be a travel buff stuck in New York City and how we can still be adventurous even with the restrictions. Pretty much my whole life has been thrown into disarray. I mean, everything that I've uh, worked for like 15 years to build up basically my business, which was going great, uh, has essentially stopped. And uh, that's been very frustrating. And you don't know where the end's going to be. So it's hard to plan ahead. So, you know, just trying to do different things. For someone like me, it's important to uh, stay relevant and also, um, you know, kind of be at the forefront of what's going on and, and what the solution's going to be. So that's kind of what I've been trying to do. So despite some of these stay-at-home orders, some people still do need to do traveling, whether it's for work or to visit loved ones or that kind of thing. Do you have any advice on how they travel safely and smartly? I've been wearing a mask for two months now, literally every single day, probably four to six hours a day because I spend a lot of time exercising outside and walking around and you got to wear gloves on a plane. You got to bring your disinfectant wipes, uh, you know, maintain social distancing. It's really important. It, it, it's not just a, a suggestion. I mean, it works. I think that's pretty clear that the numbers have gone down. I wish uh, the restrictions had been more stringent for a period of time. And I think given the scenario right, right now, you just got to uh, take care of yourself and respect others, really. And uh, just be patient because there's a lot of people freaking out right now. So uh, and, and being in close quarters, like on planes or in airports or you know buses, whatever it might be, is, is going to be uh, you know, mentally really stressful for a lot of people. So you got to kind of understand where they're coming from. But of course, take all the precautions necessary for yourself as well. So you talked about how you were doing these TV hits and trying to maintain this following and platform that you've built while not being able to, you know, provide your regular content. What sorts of things have you kind of been talking about to still be this travel blogger without the travel? You know, I've always kind of talked about other things besides just travel. I'm known for travel, obviously, but I have a lot of interest. So uh, this has given me the opportunity to, you know, talk a lot about uh, sports and then uh, lifestyle and kind of different verticals. Like I've had a lot of people on as guests uh, from different, um, you know, walks of life, basically. So get to hear different perspectives. I like hearing about different types of people. Everyone wants to know oh, when can we get back to travel? And, you know, it's it's not like I have any idea uh, more than any of these scientists or politicians or whoever else, you know, is at the forefront of this. Just trying to uh, to be open-minded to, uh, to different pivots that, that come my way and, uh, you know, be at the forefront of uh, pushing out different things. 
Going off on kind of that, like trying to pre predict the future, which obviously no one can, I, I've been thinking a lot about how maybe all of this might affect people's appetite for travel. You know, what if we emerge from this in a world where people are scared to kind of go abroad or scared to kind of interact with new cultures? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to affect people's appetites, as you just said, um, in that it's unknown and you know that there's going to be hassles and it's not like traveling on Thanksgiving or Christmas or something like that where you know there's just going to be like a, a ton of people. Uh, right now, it, there's a lot of variables like am I going to have to get to the airport four hours early to go on a flight because like I got to get uh, disinfected, I got to fill out all these forms, you know, like are they going to test me on the spot? What if I have it? You know, then what? What if I get tested on the ground? Am I going to be quarantined like when I get to a new place and am I going to waste like my two weeks vacation or whatever it might be there's so many variables out there and and cost is another one like are things going to close down travel insurance doesn't cover pandemics am I going to lose my money uh is anything going to be open there's so many unknowns and I, I think that for a lot of people that's going to be uh too much to to deal with to risk um in the short term and and I think the uh, airlines cruises etc have the work cut out for them to get the trust and the uh, get people to feel safe coming back again. And uh, that's going to be a struggle for airlines down to people like me. So we'll see what happens. So do people just need to bite the bullet until this is all over? Or how do they feed their uh, adventurous travel side through all this? A lot of this comes down to risk tolerance and it's going to be a personal choice. I think that, I mean, let's, let's be honest, the, the country has to reopen, whether we think it's too soon or, you know, wait a couple weeks or whatever, it's going to happen. And, and honestly, it has to, it sucks. There's no good answer to it. But in, in the interim, uh, there's things that people can do. Yeah, I think the road trip is going to be like the new, like, you know, backpacking Europe trip kind of deal. It's going to be uh, domestic travel, I think a lot of it, I think the national parks are going to become, uh, you know, popular for people, state parks, etc. And just doing that road trip, you've always talked about, you know, going cross country or whatever, Route 66, whatever it might be. So I think that's going to be a lot of it. I think people are going to get in touch with nature a little bit more than they would because uh, they're going to avoid cities, I think. I think the beaches are going to be popular, of course, as always. But uh, yeah, I think domestic travel, um, maybe North American. We'll see what happens with Canada. I think Mexico is going to be the first ones to welcome us back at some point because of economic reasons. But yeah, I think uh, a lot of outdoors and uh, road trips are going to be had to scratch that itch. As you Even said. now, like you see um, like Google doing some interesting things and museums doing these virtual tours. And I feel like that's, no, it's not being there, but it's kind of some way to kind of feed that travel bug. I mean, I, you know, looked at some of the Met artwork from over here in DC. So it's kind of cool that, you know, big tourist attractions are trying to fill that void in some way. Yeah, I think that these virtual tours, uh, you know, it's, it's innovative, it's nice, but at the same time, I think that uh, it's not the same. Um, so, you know, to, to look at you know, things over the computer is one thing, but that's always kind of what drove me to want to go to these places and see it uh, for myself. But in the interim, uh, given the circumstances, uh, I think that's as good as we can do right now. You talked about, I was reading some of the interviews, things like that, that you were doing before this, and you talked about the biggest change you could see taking place in the industry after all this is airports. Can you tell us a little bit about how you think the airport environment will change? 
I think that airports are going to be uh, the most drastic change that we see because obviously you need to go to airports to go places. And I think that the uh, stringent uh, disinfectant policies will be good because I think a lot of airports are filthy, especially U.S. airports. Some of them are super old and uh, most of them are super old, I should say. And um, the way people interact with each other, I think it's going to be a lot different. You know, gate agents are going to wear masks and gloves and like, uh, you know, people are going to be weird about touching the screen and this and that. So I think electronic check-in is going to be, uh, you know, pre on your phone is going to be the only way to go. And I think that boarding is going to be different. I think the whole experience is going to be different standing in line at TSA. Uh, the way you interact with TSA officers, um, you know, people touching your luggage, just everything. That's 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 pretty much it. I think it's just going to be kind of like nickel and diming of uh, annoyances because there's so many annoyances at the airport already and they're all going to be exacerbated. So I think it's going to be a very unpleasant um, travel experience coming up. And, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but uh, I think that's going to keep a lot of people away. You've been to more places than I can dream. Where would you be quarantining right now if you could choose anywhere? You know, it's funny. I uh, I do these questions on Instagram. That's another thing I've been doing to uh, kind of pass my time. And I said last night, actually, uh, that I would quarantine in Maui. If, uh, if I could have gone anywhere in the world, I probably would have gone there. Because, uh, you know, great hiking, great beaches, uh, golf, you know, and you don't have a ton of people there, so you wouldn't have to really worry about the virus so much, but you'd still be in America, so you'd have access to healthcare and everything else, like, if necessary. At the same time, is this, like, the longest you've been in one place for yeah. quite a while? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you, uh, years. Um, yeah, I mean, probably since high school, to be honest. Um, because even in college, like, you know, I, I went to uh, right outside D.C., University of Maryland, and, like, you know, I'd go into D.C. or I'd go to Baltimore, or, you know, I'd do something. I haven't left uh, New York City in, uh, yeah, nine weeks, exactly. So uh, it, it's been it's been rough. I've been doing a lot of um, walking around, doing tours of New York City, um, which has been fun for me. It's something to do. But at the same time, it's not uh, it's not the same. So, yeah, it's been rough. Kenneth Jordan is a middle school teacher who's been leading and coordinating student and adult travel groups for over two decades. Since the pandemic hit, Kenneth has had to make some difficult adjustments to how he's handled his international travel. We sat down with Kenneth to talk to him about some of these challenges. Before we start off, uh, thank you for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. So obviously with the COVID-19 pandemic, you've probably had to adjust a bunch of plans. Can you tell us about kind of how you've had to change um, arrangements for upcoming trips? I've had I had other like emergencies, but this one has been uh, very unique. We had a planned trip on April the 7th through April the 14th to Dubai, the United Emirates. I had a travel agent. I had to reach out to the travel agent. We had to reach out to to the airlines and um, try to get rescheduled. We had to reach out to what what is called a consolidator. That's the person that's involved at planning your trip once you get there, making sure you have your activities. For about two weeks constantly, I had to be on the phone rescheduling, even either the 
to determine whether we're going to cancel or we're going to go ahead with it. Now I've been in the process of trying to plan to travel next year. You said that, you know, you kind of travel with, with high schoolers who are, you know, looking for that abroad experience before they go off to college. I imagine, you know, COVID has really brought so much disappointment to students right now, missing out on graduation experiences and, you know, proms and other kind of end of year activities. How have you been kind of communicating with them to help them, you know, not be as disappointed, not be as frustrated? I imagine that there's some sadness there. Yes, that's exactly right. There's sadness, that's disappointment, and the majority of my trips abroad are to Europe. So, you know, the Eiffel Tower, uh, the Vatican, and so forth, or, you know, Pisa, somewhere in Italy, Florence. So they've been very, very disappointed. You know, I just try to reach out to them and tell them, it's going to be other opportunities, but they, you know, they understand that, you know, this is a world pandemic. So it's not only here, it's all over the world. On that note, what do you think will be the key to knowing that it's safe to travel again? I wouldn't feel comfortable taking people out of the country unless I know we had a vaccine for COVID-19, if someone caught it abroad, you know, I, I would feel very, very bad. It, that would be my first priority, making sure that it's safe for having a vaccine for COVID-19. And then making sure that the airlines and the places that we're going to be going um, have the proper I guess safe distancing measurements in, in in place. So those are some of the things that I would be concerned with before I take a group uh, abroad. We really do appreciate it. And thank you so much for joining us um, for this episode. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Alex. All Enjoy, right. man. Good luck. Claire Polders is a Dutch author who packed up her life in March 2019 to travel the world with her American husband. The self-described digital nomad was traversing through Asia when the pandemic struck, leaving her grappling with a critical question. Does she head back to Europe or hunker down in a foreign country? She chose the latter, quarantining in the Vietnamese beachside town of Hoi An. Sarah spoke with Claire to walk us through that decision. It's okay to change plans and to change your life based on the situation. And if, if it's better for the world that people stay in place and don't move from country to country every two weeks, then perhaps we shouldn't move to country to country to, every two weeks. About a year ago, we gave up our apartment in Paris to travel the world. We put our possessions in, in storage and sold a lot of things. And we wanted to see a bit more. So we were traveling for about a year when we first heard about the virus. Yeah, so you were in um, Thailand, right? When COVID kind of started to become a bit more of a global issue. Yes, we heard about it when we were still in the Netherlands and we were planning our trip to Asia. 
the numbers were very low and nobody was worried about it. So what did that look like in terms of traveling and tourism? You were still able to visit sites, but was it different than what you were used to or expecting? In the beginning, nothing changed. The first two weeks of February, we saw absolutely no, no differences. Then when we moved into later February, we saw that tourist sites closed down and people were more and more careful in the sense of hand washing, more people were wearing masks. But at the time we were also in Chiang Mai and in Bangkok where the air quality is really bad. And we also knew people are wearing masks because of that. So at first it was actually, it seemed like it was in our advantage because it was just not busy at all. The Europeans were afraid of what they called the Asian virus. And so they didn't come. And a lot of Chinese were not able to travel. And usually certain tourist sites, especially in Thailand and in Cambodia, are very busy with Chinese visitors. So we were practically alone. And at first, yeah, we saw that that was a, we were actually lucky to be there at that time. Yeah, you wrote about kind of exploring these temples and these sites, you know, that were essentially deserted. And I imagine that it must have been a little nerve wracking to know why they were deserted, but also pretty cool. What was that like to be able to have these attractions to yourself? That was amazing. Um, we were not worried at the time because in Thailand and Cambodia and most of Southeast Asia, the virus, was, the virus numbers were very low. In that sense, we were not worried. And also because it was so uncrowded, we were not worried either. So it wasn't necessary to stand in crowded lines to get our tickets or to spend a lot of time with other people, even in restaurants. Often we were the only people eating dinner, so we didn't feel crowded and therefore we didn't feel at risk of even catching anything, even if it would be going around. So when did things kind of look to get more serious and when did things, um, like what sorts of red flags started popping up that maybe you needed to decide on a course of action? We were in Cambodia at the time, uh, more or less at the end of our trip. We had planned to go for maybe five to 10 days. We stayed a little longer. We had have a cousin living there and we visited their school, her school, to do an author talk and talk to the kids. It was World Book Day. So I think that must have been March 5th. And before we entered the building, we were asked to wash our hands. And we were also told that three days later, the school would close down out of security reasons. And then we talked to my cousin who has been living in Cambodia for a bit longer. And she said, well, the fact that there are no cases in Cambodia doesn't mean that there are no cases in the sense that you cannot really trust the numbers. And perhaps it's a lot worse because if our school closes down, there must be some type of worry that the virus will spread here too. So we took that seriously and we just, we thought, okay, where do we want to be if it does get worse? Um, we were planning on going to Myanmar or going to Laos, but those are countries that I don't want to be in during a pandemic. Um, so what was a safe place to go? At that time, the numbers were rising in Europe, so it didn't seem very wise to fly to Europe. We didn't want to go back to the US, um, well, even though we, we don't have a home in the US either, so there was no going back to anywhere. And the plan was to go to Vietnam. So we decided, let's, let's try that at first. Let's go to Vietnam and see how things develop. And that's what we did. That sounds like a really stressful decision. Were you anxious about it? Was it difficult, like emotionally? How did you kind of approach it? At first, it wasn't difficult yet. Just to go to Vietnam seemed just the more reasonable thing to do. 
while we were there, things changed even more in the sense that I received an email from my embassy uh, that said code orange counts now for Vietnam and we recommend everybody to get out as quickly as possible. That really scared me. That was a night that I didn't sleep and the next morning was like, what should we do? If my embassy says it's not safe for me here, should I go back home? Of course, I wanted to know what does it mean that it's not safe for me? Do they think that there are going to be food shortages? Do they think there's going to be aggression coming my way? Uh, are they going to lock me up because I'm a foreigner? I, like, what are, my, what are my dangers here? And they had no true answers to it. It's just that in a situation like this, it's a government policy to say all people that are outside the country try to get them home. I'm a liability if I am not in the Netherlands and safe. So they wanted me to get back as quickly as possible. But when I actually talked to people, they said, the, perhaps there is going to be a lockdown. So that's going to ha that can happen here as it did in Spain. Perhaps if you have been in contact with people that have the virus, they may put you in quarantine, which is not pleasurable because it's, it's, a, it's going to be a provincial hospital type situation in a bunk bed. The government is unpredictable, so we cannot 100% know for sure what's going to happen. Based on that, yeah, I was, a, I was a little nervous, but not too nervous. And talking with a lot of people helped. Um, some people told me to get out of the country ASAP. Other people said, you know what, I've been living here for two years. It's going to be fine. And I guess I let myself sway by my desire to stay. I, I really did not want to go back to Europe yet, where the virus was spreading where it would be expensive to find a home and stay there for several months. Whereas here in Vietnam, it was just beautiful and it was, it was calm. If I judged purely on what I saw around me, I sensed I was safe. It was just that I had no experience in this country and I felt that perhaps I'm too naive if I only judged by what I see. What is it like to be quarantining there? What are the kind of the social distancing and masking guidelines? Are they similar to what we're seeing throughout the world or? How has it been? At the moment, we, life has come back to normal here. Uh, we had a social distancing campaign, as they called it, for the first three weeks of April. It wasn't a lockdown. You were still allowed to go outside, um, officially only to do groceries, but nobody checked. I think the first week I was nervous doing the social distancing campaign, and I did not leave the house because I was afraid that Perhaps they would arrest me or something like that, which was not the case at all. It was very calm and peaceful. Nobody flocked to the stores. There was no shortages at the ATM machines. There were all the, the shelves were, were stocked. After two weeks, they said, we're going to loosen the rules a little bit, but we're going to keep a few things closed down. And after three weeks, everything opened again. It was a very peaceful and quiet time. My husband and I are writers, uh, so we didn't mind staying at home most of the time anyway. So it was the perfect place to be, to live through this guarantee. So things are opening back up, but I mean, obviously the pandemic isn't over. What kind of makes you anxious or stressed right now about the situation? Personally, if I stay in Vietnam, I'm not stressed about the pandemic whatsoever. Vietnam really has controlled it so well. There are only now cases of people in quarantine. So the borders are still closed and so not letting anybody in. And I've heard that perhaps in June, they're going to open some borders for some flights, but then everybody that arrives, we're going to have to spend two weeks in quarantine as well. What worries me, I guess, is that I can't go back and forth between countries anymore. My family lives in the Netherlands. I have a, a mother who is not doing very well. 
normally I would want to be with her just even to visit that I cannot do if I would fly back to the Netherlands now I'm, I would be stuck there in a sense I wouldn't be able to come back to Vietnam I wouldn't be able to go elsewhere and well I don't know what the next three years is going to be like for us we don't we were planning on moving from country to country staying in places a month or two months I, I don't know whether that's going to be possible so perhaps we should find a place where we can live for a longer period of time and I don't know where that will be. It's not really a worry as well as it's just something that occupies my mind. I can't see, a, I can't see my situation as something to be sad about. I, I'm lucky to be here right now and of course I would have liked to just travel without any worries and, and, and do whatever I wanted. Who doesn't want that? But it's it's okay to change plans and to change your life based on the situation and if if it's better for the world that people stay in place and don't move from country to country every two weeks, then perhaps we shouldn't move to country to country every two weeks. And maybe it's okay to only sometimes travel. Um, so what have you and your husband been working on in quarantine? Have, has it been a productive time? Oh, at first, not at all. The first, the first couple of weeks, I was just nervous and looked a lot at the news and perhaps wrote some personal blogs. After that, I, um, I actually received the manuscript back from my agent with um, edits that I could work on, and that was fantastic. So I just focused on, on my book, and um, I submitted it back to her last week. So then I can say, yeah, it was a very productive time in April that I was able to finish that. And he's also finishing the manuscript. I think if we, if we have both done our work, um, we may even travel a little bit within Vietnam. The government is actually actively promoting domestic travel at the moment, because usually in July and August, they make a lot of um, money from foreign tourists coming to their country. They can do this now, so they want to open up touristic sites for the travelers who are still here. Thank you so much for speaking with me and being candid. Um, I hope that everything works out and that it sounds like you're really enjoying your time in Vietnam. Thanks so much. Okay, thank have you. A, have a good night. <laughs> thank you. You have a, you have a good day. <laughs>